have ever heard the phrase, the struggle is real? Come on. All right. How many of you have ever used the phrase, the struggle is real? Come on. You've posted it. You've said it. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, now, this little phrase gets thrown around all the time, right? You know, it's, uh, it's thrown around so much, it's probably lost its meaning. Like, it's just a joke now. Most people say the struggle is real. And it's usually used to describe some frustrating little thing, you know, that's a small situation or it's just a tiny little setback, you know, first world problems, right? That's what we normally say when we say the struggle is real. Um, now, in, in case that doesn't make any sense to you, if you have never um, used that phrase or even heard it, I've got a few uh, things that have been commonly used recently to talk about the struggle being real that I would like to show you uh, this morning. Here's the first one. Uh, this is an example of the struggle is real. When you've been at work for a few hours, then you check the time and it's been like 45 minutes. That's how people normally say the struggle is real, right? You know? Or, I love this, me, I should clean my room. Me, after picking up one sock. The struggle is real, right? <laughs> Y'all know, you know, you get it. All right, or a Tyrannosaurus trying to bend over and pick up a donut. The struggle is real, right? The struggle is real. I love this. Those of you who have ever lived in a college dorm, you know what it means. The struggle is real. You got to cook some food, but they don't allow that there. But you have an iron, you have last night's pizza, and you have a hair dryer. The struggle is real. <laughs> All right. Uh, or I love, like some people just quit trying, right? Fire extinguisher. Struggle is real. <laughs> now, <laughs> this, this feels like me some days, so I don't know if this will hit with you, but the struggle is real. Check this out. <laughs> He's trying so hard. too much. Poor guy. The struggle is real. Raise your hand if you can feel that sometimes. That's, that's been me. <laughs> but you know, guys, the origin of that phrase is a whole lot more serious maybe than the way that we've commonly come to use it these days. You probably didn't even realize it when you were posting on social media, the struggle is real, and you were trying to describe the fact that you, there was no soy milk for your latte. You know what I mean? And you go, the struggle is real. You probably didn't know that you're actually co-opting a phrase uh, that was made popular by this guy, Tupac, right? This is uh, actually from uh, the late 90s, a song that uh, Tupac recorded called Fame, in which he talked about the very serious struggle of growing up with no parents under poverty level right? And he said the struggle is real. It was used in his life to talk about something very, very serious. Now, doesn't that kind of remind you of the difference in scale between my struggle and your struggle, right? One day, my struggle might be, you know, I can't get the pen and the paper to work right. 
your struggle might be something like your marriage isn't working out. Your kids are upset with you. You know what I mean? Like all of our struggles are on different scales on, on different days. But guys, whether we use that phrase, the struggle is real, to describe the most major issues in our life or, or the most minor issues in our life, I'm sure that all of us can agree on this. Everyone struggles. Amen? We do. We do. Everyone struggles. And uh, I wonder if for me, like making light of everyday frustrations might be some way to kind of le- lessen my sadness or my own disappointment. Because when I really pause to think about it, life's a struggle. Life is a struggle. And um, you might be here this morning and you go, ah, that's such an understatement. You don't even know, man. My life is worse than the struggle. Or you might be like on the good times and you're like, ah, you know, maybe that's just a generalization. It's not, it's not so bad. But that statement, the struggle is real, it reflects, it reflects a reality, a reality that all of us uh, kind of experience. No matter how much we earn, no matter how much we can achieve, no matter how much stuff we can accomplish or accumulate or create, there is no human that is immune to cancer, to trouble in your home, to someone gossiping about you, to someone breaking into your car and stealing from you, for, for someone betraying you, you know? You might be able to insulate yourself for a short while, but ultimately, trouble will catch up to you. How many of you know that to be fact? It's true. It's true. And Jesus uh, knew this. He knew that our experience would be like this. And he said straight out of his mouth, in the time that he was living on this earth, doing his ministry with the disciples, he said it like this. I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. I would like for everybody, if you could, to read this next phrase with me. Here on earth, come on, you will have many trials and sorrows. Jesus says, here on earth, you're going to have trials. You're going to have sorrows. Some of the older uh, English versions say, in this world, you will have trouble. You're going to have trouble. going to have it. Now, this isn't a pessimistic expectation. You know, it's not like this guy that's like, oh, everything's bad. No, it's just reality. We're going to have trouble in this world. Once we're born into this world, you have a guarantee that you're going to have trouble. We'll experience trouble. Trials and sorrows will be a part of our lives until the Lord comes to return. Yeah. M. Scott Peck said this. I think you guys will enjoy this quote. We suffer more than we need to because we expect life to be easy. <laughs> you ever feel like, like, man, I just want my day to go great. No problems. Nobody, ha- nobody harassing me. And then when somebody just, you know, puts a speed bump in our way, right? Our frustration level goes through the roof, right? Because we expect that life is going to be easy. But it isn't. It just isn't. And uh, I, I think it's almost like a funny upside-downness to our experience because I've noticed if I expect life to be easy, it's really hard, maybe harder than I think. 
But if I kind of go at life and I realize that, hey, this is going to be tough, then I can find a way to be content. Y'all know what that's like? Because I'm expecting that this is, this probably is going to take a little effort on my part. And that's because I realize that, that what's going to happen is going to be trouble. It's going to be tough. There's going to be trials. There's going to be sorrows. And if I know that it's coming, I can prepare. I can do something about it. I can engage with what's going on around me. Um, you understand that when you, when you realize that trouble is coming, you have some choices in the way you deal with the trouble, right? Jesus said we would have trouble, but nevertheless, Jesus and all the other writers in the Scripture tell us how we can deal with the trouble. Yeah, so the situation is clear. You're going to have trouble, but you can choose to do something about it. We're going to have struggles, we're going to have trials, but we can engage, and we can find meaning and strength inside of these struggles. Listen, the struggle is real, friends. It's real, and it's very, very serious. But you and I aren't helpless. We aren't hopeless. Write this down in your notes. The struggle is real, but there is a way to victory. Everybody say victory. Victory. The struggle's real, but there's a way to victory. Paul described it like this in his letter to Timothy. We're going to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I love this. But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith and love and perseverance and gentleness. These are all things that Paul is telling to his young trainee in the faith. He's saying, do these kinds of things. And then he says this, fight... The good fight for the true faith. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Can I just draw your attention back to this first phrase? Fight the good fight for the true faith. Fight the, the good fight. I don't know what you think of when you think about the Christian walk or your your faith as a follower of Jesus. Maybe you you know you picture uh, the Christian faith is kind of going to church with your family on Sundays or maybe the first image that comes to your mind when you think about you know following Jesus is you know spending time in the Bible in prayer in a real peaceful atmosphere or maybe even you, your vision of uh, following Jesus is you know serving other people and giving yourself to serve other people. Let me tell you, all of those things are good. And all of those things are images that relate to us what the Christian life and the Christian experience is all about. But it's likely that you do not think of the Christian experience like this. We tend to not think that way. We tend to not think of soldiers on a battlefield waging war, right, against a powerful enemy. Actually, a lot of us are uncomfortable with images of warfare, right, and thinking of our following Jesus or our spirit life as a battle or a fight. But the writers of the Scripture, the writers of the New Testament, 
They didn't have any qualms with calling the Christian life a fight. Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. So even though we might not think that following Jesus is sometimes a war, the scriptures seem to indicate that it is. And following Jesus is a kind of ongoing war over our souls. A war going on around us. And it's for our peace. It's for our identity. It's for our understanding of what Jesus has done for us. That war is going on for our soul. And we see this all through the scripture. I'm going to highlight a couple for you this morning. Particularly in the writings of the Apostle Paul. He warned one particular group of believers that their struggle was not against flesh and blood. All right? Let's look at it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, we're not fighting. There's that fighting imagery again. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against what kind of rulers? Evil. Right? authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Crossing family, if I could, if I could just help you understand one important thing is that we are in a struggle. We're in a battle, a war, and it's about your soul. Our struggle is real and it's not a joke. Our struggle is real and it's a fight. And it's not a fight, listen, it's not a fight against people who are different than us. It's not a fight against those people that did something to offend us even. It is a fight, a struggle with, the scripture says, unseen powers. Not flesh and blood enemies. Let me tell you this. We are in a struggle over our souls, and it's not against someone that you can walk up to and punch them in the nose. <laughs> no, we, we are in a struggle against an invisible foe. Write this down in your notes. Our struggle, the war for our souls, is going on in invisible Remember, Paul said, unseen rulers hard to de- in hard-to-detect ways. We'll read it one more time. Our struggle, the war for our souls, is going on in invisible, hard-to-detect ways. Around that verse that we just read, the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians chapter 6, he urges his readers to armor up. Y'all have heard this before. Put on the whole armor of God. Let's take a minute and read it. We're still in Ephesians 6, but we're going to back up a few verses. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on. That that, that involves like taking this thing and armoring up. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting, like we just read, against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor 
so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Does that language sound like a fight to you? Listen, you don't put on armor to go for a day at the beach, right? Put on a Speedo, of course. I've seen some of your pictures. You put on armor because you realize you're going into a dangerous place that if you don't have on armor to protect yourself, you're going to get hurt. I'm trying to help us realize that what we're going through in our daily life is a fight. The scriptures here define our struggle as a war. A war where battles are being waged in unseen ways. And if we're not engaged in fighting this war, friends, then we're losing. Let me say it one more time. If we're not engaged in fighting the war for our souls, we're certainly losing. Jesus brings so much definition to this. He said in uh, John 8 that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. In John 10, he describes what Satan does as he's like a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy us. And it might be fine to be skeptical, maybe uncertain, maybe even uneasy about viewing ourselves as fighters for the faith. But listen, we can't miss the reality of this truth. Super important that we don't miss it. There are very real enemies that are waging war, very real war, on your soul. And it's going on all around us. And it infiltrates our mind. It infiltrates our bodies and our hearts. The effects play out in the very real struggles of identity and anxiety. Um, Man, we, we, we struggle with life-controlling problems. Our marriages are in disarray. Our families are hurting. Uh, relationships in our workplace are all blowing up. Why? Because we have an enemy who's working on us. He's attacking us. And losing ground to the enemy of our soul, it plays out like this. We lose our peace. We lose our relationships with others. Our, our physical and even our spiritual health starts to, to wane and even goes away. You're actually in a battle, in the middle of a war between lies and truth. And this may sound harsh to you, this may sound militaristic, but your choice is this. Fight or abstain from the battle. Fight or ignore that it's going on. Your choice is to win or to surrender. To build your life on the, on the lies and the deception of the enemy or to make the truth of Jesus your foundation. The struggle is real, and I would like for you guys to write this down, and it's time to engage. Yeah, it's time to engage, all right? Now, I want to show you this because this is me. A lot of times, right? Just like this. This is fine. 
I'm okay with the events that are unfolding currently. <laughs> That's okay. Things are going to be okay. <laughs> all right, all right. So listen, you ever feel that way, right? The world is, is burning down around you, right? Your home is messing up. Everything's just like a mess. And you're going, this is fine. Nothing's going on here. We're okay. I'm totally okay with the events that are going on around me. Y'all can laugh. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, we feel that way sometimes, right? This is, this is fine. But can I tell you, it's not fine. It's not fine. It's not cool that our lives are being ransacked by a spiritual enemy who is destroying what Jesus wants to have come out of us. It's not good. It's not okay that we sometimes are sitting back doing nothing to fight the good fight of the true faith. Y'all remember The Incredibles? Check this out. So, how about you, Vi? How's school? Nothing to report. You've hardly touched your food. I'm not hungry for meatloaf. Well, it is leftover night. We have steak, pasta. What are you hungry for? Tony Reidinger. Shut up. Well, you are. I said shut up, you little insect. Well, she is. Do not shout at the table. Honey? Kids, listen to your mother. She'd eat if we were having Tony loaf. That's it. Hey. You get it, right? You get it. You, you understand what we're trying to say here. Satan is having his way in our minds. He's running rampant in our homes and with our families, and we're so distracted with whatever it is that's right there in front of us at the moment that that thing has our attention. Life is imploding all around us, and somebody in our world needs to scream out, Bob or Jared, it's time to engage. It's time to engage. Please jot that down there in your notes. It's time to engage. (laughs) That was not meant to be descriptive of your and my home life, right? It was intended to help us realize that sometimes our very close relationships, the people you love, they're struggling. And the enemy is working all around us. And sometimes we're missing it. We're distracted and we're not catching the fact that A war is raging, and we need to get into the war. We need to get into the game. Fight the good fight. And followers of Jesus have understood this from the very, very beginning. The first few hundred years after the resurrection of Jesus, 
the church just grew exponentially, right? Jesus came, and he lived in a very small geographic area, but his disciples, once filled with the Holy Spirit, moved out from Jerusalem to Samaria, Judea, and the other, other parts, and they just expanded over the entire Roman Empire. And people like the Apostle Paul planted church all around the Mediterranean, and the, the new faith in Jesus grew and grew. And, and during that time, while the church was growing, they were being persecuted relentlessly by the Roman Empire. They, they, they actually, many of them, gave their lives willingly for their faith, for their belief in Jesus. So for the first two, three hundred years after Christ ascended to heaven, the church was growing and it was expanding, but believers in Jesus were suffering. They, they were going through trials, and they were overcoming because of their faith in Jesus. But then, in the 300s, a Roman emperor named Constantine came to faith, and he actually changed the rules of the Roman Empire. He actually made it legal to be a follower of Jesus. No more killing of Christians. No more uh, games where they would throw them to the lions. Constantine made it legal to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And right after that, the church found itself in a very defining moment. Because all of a sudden, what had been illegal, what had been a fight and a battle and a struggle, now is fun. Everything's cool. And the early church struggled to deal with the lure of this newfound freedom, the ease, you would say. They, they struggled to deal with what it might mean to have power and, and to, to grow things without struggle, right? Perhaps the church of that day compromised. They struggled with their persecution-free Living And they began to look more like the Roman Empire than the upside-down kingdom of God that we've been talking about. And so the church of that day began to look more like the culture around it. Does that sound familiar to anybody? But there were some members... Of the church, there were some followers of Jesus who sought out a different way. They, they chose to get into the fight, to engage, like we're talking about, in some very, very bold ways. Seeking to flee the influences of this corrupt culture that was around them, thousands of followers of Jesus moved out into the desert to devote themselves to prayer. Devote themselves to being alone with Jesus. Now, these men and women, they lived solitary lives. They were devoted to prayer, and they became known in church history as the desert fathers and mothers. These guys, these ladies, they would leave the culture, they would leave the city, and go out and just spend time in the desert praying and doing the work of following Jesus. Now, I'm not about to ask all of you guys to go live in Arizona, okay? Not at all. Not at all. But these desert fathers, 
they understood that it was necessary for the followers of Jesus to radically engage with the enemy of our soul. One particular uh, man, Evagrius Ponticus, he's also known as Evagrius the Solitary. This isn't him. We don't have a picture of him. It was a long, long time ago. But if you can imagine a guy who lived out in the desert by himself, completely devoting himself to prayer. This guy, Evagrius the Solitary, he was a wealthy um, intellectual, he had a lot of schooling, and he lived in the city of Constantinople. But he decided to leave it all and dedicate himself to following Jesus. And so many people came to him while he was in the desert to learn after him. And he wrote a book. This is so interesting. He wrote a book that was actually called Talking Back, A Monastic Handbook for Combating Demons. Isn't that the greatest title for a book you've ever heard, right? Talking back, a monastic handbook for combating demons, which has to be, like I said, the most best title ever. But in this book, this desert father, Evagrius, he described the life of following Jesus as a war, as a battle. And he described the important parts of engaging with the enemy of our soul, when he saw in the scripture in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus was led of the Spirit to go out into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan, he took that as an example to follow. You with me? He believed that part of following Jesus, a big part of following Jesus, is resisting the enemy. Resisting the enemy of our soul. And so for Evagrius and a lot of other desert fathers and mothers, going off to pray wasn't to escape. Going off to be in silence wasn't a place just to go and rest and recruit, recoup. It was more like going into the battle, going into the war zone, right? They saw the temptations of Jesus and Satan speaking to Jesus as Satan introducing lies to Jesus. And Jesus refuting those lies with the scripture. And these desert fathers and mothers focused on three basic enemies to our soul. And over the next few weeks, as we engage in resisting the enemy, we're going to spend considerable time in the scripture looking at these three enemies. Write them down for me. The first one is the devil. The devil. I want you to know that the devil is a real, personal enemy, a fallen angel. Scripture says a father of lies who is constantly laboring with malice. You know what that means? With hatred. He's laboring to twist you and I away from faith in Jesus. He's working to twist you and I away from salvation, and he'll do it any way he possibly can. He does it so often by working up here in our thoughts. Thought patterns, imaginations, toxic thoughts, negative thoughts. Listen, they're not just thoughts. You might think, oh, why did I think that? No, that's the enemy introducing lies into your thinking. Have you ever had a 
You ever had a feeling of like a, a, a thought that goes through your head and you just go, whoa, that was horrible. Where did that come from? Right? Why did I have an evil, dark thought like that? You know? Listen, that's where Satan works. He's working in to introduce stuff into our thinking that will get us off track and twist us away from our faith in Jesus. Think about it like this. If the primary way that we receive salvation is to believe in our heart, that the Lord Jesus, that, that, that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead. If the primary way for us to engage in salvation is to, to think it, to believe it in our heart, then doesn't it make sense that the enemy's primary way to get to us would be to introduce lies into our thinking, into our thought process? He works in thoughts. He works in lies. He aims his attack at our thoughts. And so instead of our mind being a place of joy, love, and peace filled with the Holy Spirit reigning under the reign of Jesus, our thought life is often a battleground, a fighting place between truth and lies, between peace and everything else, between thoughts that lead to life and thoughts that lead to death. So the first enemy that we face is battling against your soul is the devil. The second enemy is this. Jot this down. The flesh. Everybody say, the flesh. It's a weird word. <laughs> it's not used too much in, uh, in today's uh, lingo. But for us, the flesh would represent our passions, our desires, our selfish desires, our corrupt inclinations, the things that are disordered in our life that we might tend to want. Um, you know, there's so many of this, these listed in Scripture, you know, but it's greed, and it's gluttony, and it's sexual immorality, and it's those hidden desires that lurk inside of the heart of all humans that you do not want to tell anybody about. But you got them. They're living in you. That's your flesh. That, that's the sinful nature that, that still is there. Now listen, when, when our desires, when our flesh is not engaged, when we're not fighting against the flesh, our desires tend to take over our behaviors. What we want is what we end up doing unless we are engaging to fight this enemy called the flesh. Our Disordered passions, that means I've got things in the wrong order, right? Our disordered passions lead to bad behaviors. So we have to engage this enemy, the flesh. And then finally, I'd like for you to write this down, the world. The world. That's actually number three, the world. The world is uh, indifference to God. Like, eh, so what if God exists? Or it's direct opposition to God. It's uh, the empty and fleeting values that any particular year in our history would, would change, right? Because, you know, what was, what was the mode of operation for the world in 1950 was not the mode of operation in 1960, which was not the, and is not today. The world and its values, the culture 
around us. You understand what we're talking about when we talk about the world? You realize that the world around us or the culture of our day is many times in opposition to God. And it's pulling on us. It's, it's tugging on us. It has no respect for God. <laughs> the culture around us has zero respect for God. And so you can see how that enemy, the world, is always seeking to weigh you down, right? It's like somebody trying to get you to swim a lap in a pool, but they've strapped bricks all over your body. That's the world. It just pulls you down because you live in it. You're constantly engaging in the world and this culture around you. It's an enemy uh, that we all face. So the devil, the flesh, and the world. And perhaps you might think, you know, uh, well, that was good for those desert fathers. But let me also bring up to you today, and we'll talk more about it throughout this series, that the Scripture itself identifies these three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. They've been signaled out from church history sources, from Thomas Aquinas to the great church councils. These are the unrelenting enemies from the soul. Even in the Book of Common Prayer, which was the first prayer book printed in English language in 1549, contains the use of these three enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Even so, many, many years ago in church history, to be baptized, one had to renounce the works of the flesh, the devil, and the world. These are enemies that for a long time, people of God have been engaging in. And if you think about it, Jesus, on his temptations in Matthew chapter 4, that Satan comes to him and he, he engages him with the, the appeal of the world. He says, you know, uh, cast yourself off of this uh, pinnacle, you know, let everybody see it. He engages him with the flesh and he says, turn these stones into bread because I know you're hungry. And then he engages him just in that straight up, hey, bow down and worship me. That's the devil himself. So you see those three enemies just played out so obviously in all of Scripture. Well, this morning I want to remind you of this. Uh, in his epic work, you know, The Art of Warfare, Sun Tzu, great Chinese philosopher, said this, Know your enemy. Know your enemy. And for the followers of Jesus, this is the best advice. We must know our enemy so that we can resist him. If you don't know what's going on all around you, if you're not aware of the battle that's raging, remember the guy, this is fine, this is fine. If you're not engaged in the enemy and know who your enemy is, then you won't be able to engage in the war. And so you'll notice this on the bottom of your note sheet. You have a few things to fill out here. We want to talk in these next few weeks about the enemies that wage war against us and how we resist them. So jot this down. Satan constant, constantly whispers lies to me that back up what I think I need, which has become the norm in the neighborhood. Let's say it one more time. Satan constantly whispers lies to me that back up what I think I need, which has become the norm in the neighborhood. This is going to be our, our thesis for the next few weeks, okay? We see all three enemies in this. Our enemy's tactic. Number one, the devil. What does he do? He lies to us. 
our flesh gets involved. You with me? Because I think I need that. I really think I need what the devil's proposing. I think it's good for me, right? We desire it. And so our flesh gets involved here. And then the world also adds to it because those things that I think my flesh wants, those things that I desire, that's what mainly what the world tells us we need. So understanding that our enemy is about whispering lies to us that appeal to our flesh, that is what the world wants us to do. That's the tactic of the enemy. And we're going to flesh this out in a greater way in the next few weeks. But here's how we're going to engage against the enemy. We're going to learn the truth. If there's a lie, then there's a truth. It's Jesus, and we're going to learn what Jesus says. And then to address the flesh, to combat the flesh, we're going to talk about denying ourselves. Denying ourselves. And then to address the impact of the way the world is pulling on us, we're going to learn about living in Christ's following community. That's with other brothers and sisters. Living together in an influence that is against what the world is pushing. Learning the truth, denying ourselves, and living in Christ's following community. So we're going to study the scriptures together. We're going to learn how we can better engage the enemy. I think, at least I can speak for myself, I think largely I've lived a lot of my life following Jesus, ignoring this idea that there's an enemy. You know, like pushing forward, trying to, trying to do good, trying to do right, but, but not engaging our, my actual enemy. I think in our culture today, we laugh at the idea of a real devil. You know, we, we have cartoons and movies and things that portray this guy in a silly red suit. Or over-dramatize it into, into some grotesque uh, creature, right? And, and we, we just don't believe it's real. We think it's superstition. We don't engage in the truth that there is a very real devil. We laugh sometimes at the idea that people could really reject their own desires. We're like, oh, nobody can, nobody can live in victory over their flesh, we think that's a joke. Maybe we're too sophisticated to admit that the world is opposing us as followers of Jesus. But we're at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it happens all the time. We're standing by too many times instead of engaging in the war that's happening. And a lot of times we're excusing it away. And I know you might be here this morning and you're listening, you're thinking, okay, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. You might not believe it, but can I just invite you over the next couple of weeks just to come along with an open heart? Just open up the scriptures and, and see if you don't pick up on the war that is raging against you. And so this morning, I'd just like to close by asking a couple of questions. Are we expecting, friends, are we expecting to live a life of ease, for life to be a picnic, when really, as long as Christ hasn't returned, we are living in a war zone? Right. Jesus said it would be trouble. He said it would be trials and sorrows. 
what if the battle, what if the struggle is really a good thing? <laughs> what if the battle that's going on for our souls does something super important in us? It pushes us to Jesus. It pushes us to connect with him. What if we actually do have a soul and it's being attacked, right? Me engaging connects me with the one in whom I can find victory. Martin Luther King Jr. said it like this. In every one of us, there is a war going on. He said, it's a civil war. It's a civil war. What if the war that's raging inside of you and me is between truth and lies, between the spirit and the flesh, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world? And what if it's happening right now inside of all of us? What if it's happening inside of this body we call the crossing here in this town we call Mina? The good news is that through Jesus, through engaging in the war that he has already won for us, we can rely on the victory that he achieved, and we can win. We can come to peace. I want you to remember this. It's, it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. But thank God, because he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Thank God he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, trusting in the victory of Jesus is engaging. And through Jesus, we will overcome. Through Jesus, we will overcome. Our enemy is a fought giant. He's big, he's tall, he's already been fought. Our enemy is a toothless lion. He might be spoiling around trying to find who he can destroy, but Christ through the victory won at the cross and through the resurrection has taken his teeth. There's victory in Jesus. You and I, need to engage and we need to resist him.